It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Sorry for the delay, but we are officially on now for uh, the fifth episode of 619. And uh, we are out here in the beautiful city of Houston, Texas. And today we have with us our head athletic trainer, Doug Teeter. Doug, say hello. Hello. Hola. How are we doing? <laughs> we're doing, we're doing we're, great, We're Doug. doing great. We're doing great. Thank you for asking. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing all right right now. we got three more games going into the All-Star break, so looking forward to going home for a little bit, seeing the family. Well, that's good. So, Doug, let's uh, let's start by saying, are you nervous right now that you're on a podcast? A little bit. The more I talk to the media, they kind of get used to it a little bit, but it's a new venue, so it's a little uncomfortable. So this is your first year as uh, as chief, the head guy. You're the head guy. Doug. You're the head guy. Tell you're us the, about it. Yeah. Well, technically, I still have about 32 bosses, but Kevin Ryan is still the senior medical director, but I'm the... I'm in charge of the team as they move forward, the 25 and the 40 man. And it's been, you know, after 13, this is my 13th year, so 12 years as the assistant, it really, you think you can do it, you think you can do it, and then you get the job and things come up that you have no idea that were actually happening for the previous 12 years. So there's been some challenges, but overall it's been exciting doing something different. You know, you do the same thing for 12 years, which was phenomenal, but to get uh, new challenges in the process it's been it's been interesting it's kind of kept it fresh alive so let's so let's do this how about you describe uh your your job and what it entailed for the first 12 years and then tell us how it differs now with uh the head job uh when i got called up in 06 uh, i was the third athletic trainer there was uh kevin Rand was the head guy and steve carter was the assistant and i was brought up as the third and originally really all i did uh, for the first few years when Steve was still here uh, up until about five years ago was um, I was in charge of basically doing treatments and keeping the training room clean and unpacking and that was about it. It was the day in day out the same thing that actually less than what minor league trainers do because every minor league athletic trainer is a head trainer for his team so it was it was a good segue from being the rehab coordinator coming back and it was actually a, a huge step down in responsibility but um, it was nice being back with an actual team and not just working with rehabs and, you know, just kind of transitioning back into doing treatments to get guys to play that night versus you get a guy in rehab and you're going to have him for a while, depending on what the surgery and the injury was. So it was more of a, hey, we need to be ready tonight or we need to be ready tomorrow. So it was uh, a little different, a lot different in the fact that uh, this not development anymore. It's performance at this point. It's what can you do for tonight to get a guy out there to play. And then when Steve Carter uh, retired and I moved into the second hole with Matt Rankin being brought up, then, you know, I was in charge of the purchasing. I was in charge of all the supplies that we have that we carry, still doing the treatments with Matt, running the training room, uh, still doing, you know, packing, unpacking, all that that goes in with it. And then just Kevin Rand slowly started to add more responsibilities into it. Uh, but he still kept all the kind of, I don't want to say the, the worst work, but the paperwork, the administrative stuff, the the draft, we would be in a little involved in going over draft medicals, 
but uh, he still got hammered on all those. He was in charge of the budget, the workman's comp, the insurance uh, information, all those. So, you know, it was, it's been a gradual progression of uh, adding responsibility to my career in the big leagues as I've gotten here leading up to this year where as of right now I'm in charge of the medical care of the 25-man roster immediately, the guys on our team right now, as well as overseeing the 40-man roster, which is any of those kids that are still in the minor leagues, the 15 that can be brought up at any time. So you have to be aware of what's going on with them in case something happens up here, a guy goes down, and they're like, all right, we want to maybe bring this guy up. you got to know where he's at medically. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize how much you do have to look at the draft class each oh, year. Yeah. So talk about that. For so a hold bit. on. Let me, let me just clarify everything for the listeners. So when I say athletic trainer, I don't mean a strength coach because no. that was something that, that confused me in the beginning too. So when I th- a strength coach is is the, the guy uh, in the weight the, room. Exactly, the guy in the weight room. Yeah. So Doug, aka Tiny, aka uh, Teeter, aka Teet, uh, he's he's the guy in the training room, and he's the one that keeps us healthy. He's also the one that that uh, sets up programs to get guys back on the field when they're dealing with injuries. He's the guy that uh, directs treatment. So like, let's say I I have a sore wrist, I'm going to Doug. He's he's figuring out what I have and how to attack it. So he's. He's the medical side of, of baseball. So just I just wanted to make that right. clear. And all that's – it's not like I'm doing all that. And, you know, I have – you know, I work with Matt Rankin, who's the assistant, and I work with Robbie Williams. And those two, you can't understate how much work those two do. And Matt Rankin um, does come up with a lot of the treatment protocols, and we all agree on it. We talk every day. We have a meeting every day, go what we're doing with the athlete that day. You're um, like a team within the team. Absolutely. Um and they're just as important as anyone else, as is Chris Walters in the strength, uh, in the strength uh, conditioning side, with Yusef Zamat. You know they are in that meeting too. So everything we do, hey, we let's say we have Shane Green today. He's coming back from an injury. He's got a bullpen today. Okay, Chris, what we're, here's what we're going to do treatment wise. Get him ready for his bullpen. After his bullpen, this is what we want to do conditioning wise. What are your thoughts on him strength program wise? And so it's. All that unit works together. It's not as if I just oversee it and I come up with treatment protocols. Everything is talked about. Everything is agreed upon by the group, and everyone's on the same page. And really the only thing that changes is I'm the conduit then to the pitching coach, the manager. You know, if let's say with uh, if it's an outfielder, then I make sure I talk to Dave Clark and say, hey, here's his limitations for the day. This is what we're trying to do with him, um, but this is what we're still concerned about. So can we come up with drills to work on this particular thing but he won't be able to do these other uh, other things you may want him to do. So, yeah, the athletic training is not the same as it's just not training. There's strength training, there's athletic training. We do injuries. Um, we do injury prevention. We do maintenance programs trying to keep guys from getting hurt. Um, probably 90% of the job is pitchers. Uh, pitchers have a lot more maintenance work, things you try to do range of motion strength-wise to keep them uh, at an optimum level where they're going to not get hurt because everyone's going to degrade as the season goes on. You know, the old saying that, you know, once spring training starts, no one feels 100%. It's very true. And then it just slowly goes downhill from there. So, you know, these guys that are walking out here today taking batting practice no, feel nowhere near what they felt like at the beginning of the season. So you're just always adjusting strength programs, conditioning programs, as well as what we're doing maintenance-wise. And the pitchers are the biggest uh, – are the biggest – um, what's the word, like the emphasis of what we do because of just the nature of the job. And then you take pitchers and you take the difference between a starter and a bullpen guy. The bullpen guys have to be available any night. They can pitch three to four nights in a row. They may have three days off. 
they may have five days off, which in, has its own set of challenges because then they haven't been throwing. And how do you manipulate their strength programs to keep them fresh uh, strength-wise but not do too much? If a guy's been throwing a lot, you may back off, and you're just not going to go by this cookie-cutter uh, program. We're going to do this. Well, what's he thrown in the last four days? How many times has he done shoulder program in the last week? So a lot goes into it, and a huge amount of it is Robbie Williams and uh, Matt Rankin. Um, I have a question for you. As a kid, did you play sports? I did. I wrestled and I played football. And at what point did you decide that athletic training was something that you had a passion for? When I got to college. Um, I knew I wanted to stay in athletics. I didn't want to be inside. I didn't. Me personally, I just didn't want to be in a suit. Uh, I didn't want to be in a cubicle. didn't want to be in a building. I knew I loved athletics. I wanted to stay in some way. And I went to Central Michigan, which was the first accredited sports medicine program in the nation. And just kind of fell into it and loved it from the beginning and just went forward. Ended up working baseball for the last uh, two seasons, one off season, one in season that I was there. And that's kind of what led to me getting in with the Tigers. So let me uh, let me also bring this to uh, what is, you know, you being around, you being around, uh, baseball for as long as you have a big reason why i wanted to have you on on the show and i thought it was so important for you to give your perspective is because a lot of people that listen to our podcast are you know parents with kids that also play baseball and you know you see it nowadays but it seems like all these kids are are getting uh tommy john surgery and have all of these injuries and arm injuries at a younger and younger age i wanted you to talk a little bit about you know the prevention steps of children who are pitching and playing every day the importance of taking care of themselves the right way, uh, things that they can do to prevent uh, the surgery, you know, and, and the, the benefits of not just rehab but prehab. Okay. Uh, it kind of goes into what Shane was talking about when he was going to ask about the draft. You know, we look at, and this is mostly Kevin Rand. Kevin is now the senior med- medical director, and he stepped back into a role where he stays in Lakeland. The draft starts for us like in January where he'll start getting draft medical discs on all the players that are available for the draft. And it's not like a football draft where you have all the college teams and you have some colleges you haven't heard about. You're talking about all high schools, all colleges, JUCOs, NAIs, all across the country. So I think Kevin, if I could be wrong, but I think he said he looked at over 900 athletes this year wow. starting in January. And what he does is he sits there and goes through the complete medical file that is reported to the scouting bureau. They have to give what they've had medically if how they far, want to how enter far the back draft. does that go and how like, detailed like if i was 13 and i was you know i had some sort of growth plate issue or tendonitis you saw it. you we guys saw, saw it. it so and how detailed what about if you had detailed to oh. the point where we get 14 year olds i think the youngest we've seen with an collateral reconstruction on a pitcher was 14 wow. so he's a freshman in high school and that's what i was going to kind of talk about is when you go what my recommendations are for these people is and i went through this with my kids and being at the complex in, in Tigertown, you see you know, our coaches do coaching in the offseason, personal coaching for these pitchers. And you get kids out there that are 11 and 10 years old, and ha- their parents are paying for them for individual instruction with coaching staffs. And they go up and they throw bullpens and they throw long toss. And then let's say you're that kid that you're playing in just Joe average little league, but then you're also on a travel ball team, and then maybe you're playing on a different league. So, mm-hmm. Sure, this league has a pitch count limit, and this this league has an innings limit. But then, 
on the weekends he's on a travel ball team and they don't communicate and those three leagues have nothing to do with each other so at the end of the day the kid's thrown 13 innings and he's thrown over 100 pitches and he's 13 years old and these kids when you're talking about children like this until you know their bones are gummy mm-hmm. you know that's why i was that kid by the yeah. way yeah and well, they, apparently your teeth your shoulder is still pretty gummy <laughs> <laughs> thanks teeth so these guys um these kids are throwing this much and their bones are reacting because their growth plates aren't closed and they're they're getting torqued and they're moving and they're angled different and you look at some kids that are in high school and they can't straighten their elbow you know past 10 degrees of extension where they have a deficit in their elbow and then we go to the kid that's 14 that had a reconstruction in his, his elbow that's either from too much throwing throwing incorrectly which is probably goes hand in hand with too much throwing mm-hmm. and then third throwing curveballs and sliders because he's trying to get out in a little league mm-hmm. or a travel team when he can't you know his fastball's not even developed it's change up and he's trying to get it out because they want to win and most kids can't hit a curveball when they're that young so it's it's really kind of abusive what happens to these kids as far as the total work and that's the thing if anything a parent can take home is think about the total work that your kid's putting in with the throwing because the the way things are now uh, everything is specialization so even in high school when i was in high school in the 80s it was we all played three sports you played a fall you played a winter and you played a spring and there was no spring football now with my kids going through it my oldest son plays football almost year-round school ended the third week in may he started lifting for the next season the first week in june and they just are going through varsity camp right now which is helmets and shorts and they're going through plays. They're not hitting full contact. And then August 1st, they can start hitting. And so it really never ends. It's, it's year-round now. It is absolutely year-round. And if you allow your child to fall into that, then what kind of person, as far as athletically, are they really? Um, and this was always one of our biggest points with our kids was to try to get them to play other sports. My kids played soccer. They wrestled. They played basketball. They played baseball. And they played football. And they are not good at any of them but football. But basketball made my kids better at football. Mm-hmm. It, I, that's one thing, man. I wish I wish I played more uh, sports than just baseball. Like, looking back on it, when I'm a kid, you know, you, you just want to kind of hang out with your friends. But but uh, I didn't – I have I played sit, four games of, of soccer when I was when I was little and then yeah. quit in the middle of the fourth game because I was tired of getting kicked in the shins. Yeah, yeah. same. I was baseball all the way. I was baseball I all mean, the I way. I played on my – my middle school had a volleyball team. I was on that. I mean, you look. You look I mean, at. I could spike. You look you at know? the athleticism of guys like Jacoby Jones and right. and Nico Goodrum. You know that that's developed through through everything yeah. through basketball, football, yeah. baseball. That's right. And I ask guys all the time that are in the big leagues, what other sports you play when you're young? And the farther into this we get, when I first started. Everyone played a lot of different sports. And now if you ask, I bet 75% of our team only played baseball. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's so specialized now. Right. I mean, like, especially like in, in South Florida, um, the parks that I played at, you know, like Pembroke Lakes Optimus, Miami Lakes Optimus, where it was pretty much like, you know, a rec league park, those parks are pretty much empty. And you have kids that are now on, like, specialized travel teams as early as the age of eight oh, years old. Dude, yeah. nowadays high school baseball is pretty much irrelevant. These kids are playing right. on travel ball teams, and they're showcases. playing year-round, and they're going to showcases. And, I, I mean, I would venture to say there's probably kids that are playing travel ball and not even playing for their high school team. So we don't get kids wanting to win anymore? We just get show ponies. <laughs> <laughs> and but they can swing it. And they're not as athletic, but you're right. They have one skill that they've worked on since they were 10 years old, and they can hit. They can or hit. they can catch. and Or they can throw really hard. But the thing is, and let's go back to the 14-year-old with a reconstruction. 
So we're looking at their draft medical. So we see a kid with 14-year-old uh, UCL reconstruction. Uh, statistics have shown historically that a first reconstruction on average lasts eight years before you start to see a breakdown and possibly a need for another one. So now that kid's 14. He's a, fre- or a senior now in high school. He's 18. He's halfway through the life of his reconstructed elbow. And now we're going to draft him. So it's a high school kid. Let's say he doesn't want to go to college, wants to come out in the draft. Well, now he's 18 or 19, and when do we see him playing in the big leagues? If this kid isn't one of those elite talent kids where he's going to be in the minor leagues for a year to two, three years, by the time he gets to double A, he's going to need another elbow, as stats have told me. So Mm -hmm. now what are we going to do? You get a second reconstruction. If you want to keep this kid moving, and now those how long is that rehab process to, recon, uh, to reconstruct? Everyone thinks that no, because I've done a lot of rehabs on these, and Robbie's done a ton. And we've talked about it a lot, and you always hear, "Oh, they come back in a year. They come back in a year." Well, that's bull. They come back. Yeah, they may be thrown off the mound, in a year, and they but may be they're, able not, to throw. they're not game ready really no. for another six months. Probably. Absolutely, it's an eighteen-month process, and now you put that in the concept of a season. Mm-hmm. Kid does that. Let's say he does it at the beginning of the season for us, and it's in spring training. He's going to miss that whole year, and then to get his velocity back and to be able to pitch at the same level he was at before and get guys out, you're talking another half season or more going into it, and then they're probably going to send him to winter ball Arizona or something like that if he's eligible, and then. You're talking about two whole years where mm-hmm. you've done nothing but try to rehab. Then you're going to have a short off season, come back, and try to be productive the next year when all you've done is work and throw for the next last two years. And then you got a 142-game se- season in the minor leagues. Yes. And if they're a high school kid, they've never dealt with anything no. more than, what, 30 games in high school? Exactly. So it all adds up, and this is something I wish parents could see how it works, but you really can't unless you know someone that's in the system and you talk to them and I talk to parents, my friends, all the time and say, look, you know, like I said, my kids played baseball and they weren't great, but there were the kids on there that were they were good. And having been around baseball my whole professional career, you can see if a kid's got a strong arm compared to others. Those kids stand out. Mm-hmm. But then they play travel ball. My kids go play two other sports. You come back to baseball a year later, and that kid's gotten no better. Mm-hmm. And all he's done is pound baseball for the last year. And some other kids are going by him because they're more athletic. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the kid who was top heavy and couldn't move well and his feet weren't working, he went and played basketball. He went and wrestled. He went and did um, something else. And all of a sudden, he's really athletic. And now he's better than that kid who's done just that one thing. It works for some kids. It worked in your instance, Nick. I mean, it worked for you. It worked for – Well, Nick's one of those kids that can hit. Yeah, Nick can just hit. And it well, he can do more than just Thanks, hit. Thanks, guys. Thanks. But he can hit. It. But he can definitely hit. When so, you put it in reverence to a pitcher, you know, kids, you can either throw hard or you can't. Right. I'm not going to be able to take a kid that throws 70 miles an hour and make him throw 90. Genetically, he's just not going to be able to do it, no matter how many seasons he plays in a row, how much long toss he does. You can improve mechanics. You can gain some velocity through mechanics and strength in your core and things like that, but you're not going to take a guy who throws mid-70s and he's not going to be a mid-90 guy. So you know if your kid's going to be that kid or not. I don't care how much coaching you get. If he doesn't throw hard, he doesn't throw hard, and he ain't going to make it. Well said. Or develop a knuckleball. Right. Well, but you know what they might. You know what they might be able to do if they were athletic enough is they might be able to play in college and play for you know go to college for yeah, free. Go and to they may be able. For free. Exactly. That was, that was my goal. Exactly. So it's not all about just playing up here and being you know, at Minute Maid Park right now. It's you know there's a ton of kids that go to school and get a college degree for free, or at least partially paid for. That yeah, it was successful. But parents just need to understand that just because you get coaching for a kid from the time he's eight years old, that may not necessarily be the best thing you can do for your child. What do you think? What do you think from a from a 
uh, character standpoint uh, competitive sports does for kids? I love team sports. As we had our kids playing for as absolutely as soon as they could. They were playing soccer at four. They probably a little early, but I let them start playing football because, like I said, I just love football and it's a big part of our family. But for those for those who don't know, Teeter breeds football players. Mm-hmm. Okay, he uh, breeds them. Why don't you tell him, Teeter? You can just brag brag about your kids. My wife, let everybody know. My wife was really athletic. My wife played volleyball in college and a little bit in Europe professionally after that. And uh, my kids are big. Uh, Her whole family's tall. My oldest boy's six five, two ninety, and he's got a full scholarship to play football Virginia right now. And then my twins are uh, Deacon and Matt are thirteen, and they're already six foot one, and they're gonna be in eighth grade next year. So (laughs) they. uh, I, Deacon and, I like Deacon and Matt. It's, yeah. it's, all, it's all about my wife's genes. I had no no help in that. I just Teeter, helped with that. You helped with the 6'5 yeah, yeah. part. Yeah. You no, helped with so. the 6'5 part, Teeter. No, I'm 6'5 okay. flat. It takes two. Teeter. I'm 6'5 flat, and my kids are already taller than me at 13. So, um, But what were we talking about? What were we just we're talking about? about we're talking about how, good, talking your about kid how good your kids are at football well, and character, the character. Oh, let's talk about why don't and, you tell and the w- team sports. So we got them involved. My wife was always athletic, always played everything. She was softball, basketball, and volleyball. Like I said, I played football, wrestled. I played baseball in high school for one year just because all my friends did it and was terrible at it, but I did it just to hang out with them. Um, so we've had them on athletic teams. I think, you know, any sense of, you know, I, we're not going to get into the whole participation ribbon thing. That's not a big thing in my family. Um, we keep trophies if they win championships. That's what we're allowed to. What we allow. <laughs> it's just our choice, mm-hmm. and it may be really dickish or whatever you want to call it. But we don't have a lot of ribbons hanging around the house. So, um, but what it does, what it does show, especially football, and I'll just keep referencing football. Football is not an individual thing. Yeah, you have the Tom Brady's, you have this and that. But if the linemen don't block, they don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. If the linebackers don't, you know, make all the tackles. It's because the defensive linemen are filling gaps and they're making guys run to the linebacker. So it's it's to me, it's one of the purest team sports there is. You can have the best athlete in the world, and yeah, he's going to help you once in a while. But if you don't have the whole team working as a unit, you're not going to win in football. I, so I agree. I think I think in base in baseball either. I mean, yeah. you know, in baseball, we're we're around each other all the time, and and we play every day, and we spend. 12 hours a day with these guys so i mean like if you guys don't have good team chemistry and you guys don't get along with each other that that plays that plays that plays a big part absolutely absolutely, absolutely. and it, there's just there's so many life lessons in football you know it just in any sport any sport there is it's just all about just because you know you should win doesn't mean you're going to win if the other team mm-hmm. wants it more there's just so many things that it teaches you it teaches you failure teaches you success teach you how to Teaches to you, deal with you, both. It teaches, teaches you, how to you get, failure. Yeah, it teaches, teaches you how to failure. get knocked I don't, down and stand back up. I don't. I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with you that that not everybody deserves a trophy. Yeah. You know because you got to deserve how to deal with it when you don't get a trophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know like if you have everybody getting trophies, then you never understand the feeling of what it's like to not have a trophy. Correct. And then you got to figure out if you not get if you don't have that trophy. If you really want a trophy, and if you want, and it, if you want, how are you going to get, you it? get it? Right. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do to get the trophy? Right. And when you just, and when you just, you know, hand out trophies to Johnny and Timmy, and you know Anthony because they decided to show up to the mandatory practices and the games and didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, I think you're creating false hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But you're right. It could just be me, and I just could be mean and insensitive. But that's that's just my opinion. I couldn't yeah. agree with you more, Nick. Yeah. There is failure. Failure is the best teacher there is in life, in sports, in anything. And if nothing else, sports bring that out because mm-hmm. no one's ever going to go through their whole athletic career unbeaten. So, 
Well, except for Mayweather. No, except he, for at Mayweather. One point, no, he May- lost. At he one lost. point. He lost. No, he did didn't. he lose? He didn't lose a professional, but I think he lost an Olympic fight. I think he lost one fight. At some point, he's had his butt kicked, too. Well, will have to Google it. Maybe in, maybe in gambling. Well. That guy can gamble. But he puts the money on himself, right? He does put the money on himself. So well, no, he, he didn't that lose too. that, but I, I, I saw that he bet like he gambled like $13 million on a football game and lost it. That's terrible. That's terrible. Hey. That's pretty bad. So, Greeny, Greeny's now looking up questions that, that we're going to answer. I got a couple questions. Um, this question is from Megapudge19, and he wants to know, have you ever played with some of the players you idolized growing up or coming up through the minors? Well, let's before we answer. Let's let I want Teeter to say, Teeter, what was, who's a baseball player that you idolized that you all of a sudden were now in the other dugout watching? I didn't. I never watched baseball. What what no, athlete not, did you idolize? Um, my guys were Deacon Jones, which is why I named one of my sons Deacon. Um, I loved, like I said, I was football, so I watched him. He was he was my favorite player to watch. Hockey wise was the other sport I really enjoyed watching was Steve Eiserman, and I did get to meet him. Um, Chris Draper, the whole grind line, Maltby. McCarty, all those guys, I got to meet all of them. And that was really cool. That, but the 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 one the one time I've met someone where I was kind of like that open mouth, starstruck a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was Lou Holtz because I grew up a Notre Dame fan, and Lou Holtz came in our clubhouse, and I got to meet Lou Holtz. And this guy is all of five foot ten, and absolutely, I was I was stunned when he walked in. So I was kind of speechless there. I actually took a picture of him, or a picture with him. And uh, I think in the background, Zimmerman was yelling, give him a hug. And so <laughs> everybody Lou, Lou did, you get, did you give him a hug? Everybody. Lou Holtz hugged me and <laughs> took a picture of Lou Holtz. Everybody loves hugs from, from Teeter. I love hugs from Teeter. I know I've been caught in the dugout a few times giving Hugging Teeter a hug or rubbing his head. <laughs> Molesting Doug, yes. <laughs> okay, so Greeny, you go. You're second. Um, okay, so idolized. Um, I idolized John Smoltz as a kid. I mean, I idolized a lot of players, I guess, but. Um, for me, the, like, the coolest thing as far as like idolizing a player and then meeting them or, or talking to them um, was Smoltz, uh, mainly because um, obviously he was one of the best in the game, um, but he did both starting and, and relieving or and closing and was really good at both. Um, and then when I uh, got moved to the bullpen a couple years ago and then I went, I was going into my first spring training knowing that I was going to be, uh, you know, in the bullpen. And that was the first time I had ever got in the spring training, knowing that um, Verlander actually reached out to me um, because him and Smoltz have a good relationship and, and asked me if I would want to talk to him about making that transition from starting to relieving. And I said, absolutely. And I had an opportunity to talk to Smoltz on the phone for uh, almost two hours probably, just about how to make that transition um, from starting to relieving uh, mentally, you know, physically, routine-wise, um, things that, that made it easier for him, made it harder for him, um, and just kind of talked baseball and life, uh, you know, for a while. So for me, that was, that was kind of a full-circle moment um, to be able to, you know, talk to him and, and pick his brain a little bit, but also, you know, share my thoughts and, um, you know, what, what I felt helped me succeed at the same time. That was a good answer. I didn't know you get to talk. I didn't know you talked to Smoltz it was for two am- hours. It was honestly, it was amazing. I bet it was fantastic. Shout out to John Smoltz. <laughs> Appreciate the help. Um, so I guess you know I'll, I'll answer last. Uh, so growing up before, you know, before I was in the big leagues, you know, I, 
I guess you could kind of say that I idolized Alex Rodriguez, but I didn't really have a lot of uh, reasons to do that other than just, you know, him being Alex Rodriguez. But once I got in the big leagues and I started to really observe and appreciate how people went about their business, uh, it, it became more of, of people like Derek Jeter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the year that, that I got to play against him in, in spring training and and against, you know, just kind of just the way how how he had all the attention but didn't ask for any of the attention mm-hmm. and went about his business the same whether he had the attention or didn't have the attention. Uh, I thought that was great. And then also David Price, uh, just the quality of human being that David Price was. Uh, you know, you you know, you consistently talked to about the relationship that you had with him. But absolutely uh, just that. Um, you know, when David was here, he already had all the accolades, the all-star games, the, you know, the contract and this and that. And he walked around like he didn't have any of that. Like he's, it was he's his, a, He was a special human, man. He is. He's, I mean, he still is. Uh, you know, people like that don't change. And, uh, you know, he was he was another person. So I'd say uh, Jeter and, and DP. I, I, I would just like to add the, the David Price um, – he he has a special relationship with everybody in the clubhouse, um, and I I that's something that you know from from the outside looking in it's very admirable, for sure. What did you think of DP Teeter when we had him? I liked uh <coughs> he was very like uh, I don't want to say childlike, but to the point where like he, to him it was still just a game. He had a lot of fun. He didn't mm-hmm. get you know he didn't get hung up on the business end of it as much um he had a lot of fun and i generally liked working with david price a lot um you know he he had a program he had a set structure which most guys have you know most of the good people at this point when they get on a professional baseball team and, and they've had success it's because they have structure mm-hmm. it's because they know what they have to do to get themselves ready and he didn't miss i mean i remember when uh, he clinched a game for us to win uh, the division um, you know, it, the champagne's popping, everything's going on in the clubhouse. He grabs me and he's like, hey, we need to go do my shoulder program. And, he, you know, he's right. And he's like, look, we're going on. We're going to have some off days. And we don't even know what the rotation is. But he's like, look, I still got to get my work in. So, you know, we went back in the middle of it, got to work, and he came back out and celebrated. So, you know, guys like that are the ones that have success. You mentioned Jeter. And I remember, you know, I was in the game when they were having the run in the 90s. And they're going to the series, and they're going deep in the, in the playoffs, year in, year out, for like it seemed like a decade. And that is one of the most amazing things in this game that I've seen because when we when I came up, like I said, it was 06. So, you know, I was in the World Series. I was as fortunate as you could get timing-wise. And with World Series, we went to some ALCSs, you know, consecutively division series. And the toll it takes to play deep into October on players and then have a short turnaround because it, it does it. What it does, it messes up your system. If you're a guy who – Let's say you're done October 1st and you go home, you don't throw a pick up a ball till November 15th. Well, all of a sudden, you lost that month of rest. And for what they did for that many years and to be able, the pitchers especially, to make adjustments to their programs year in, year out and not fall off. Because you see, it doesn't hit you like the first year. It wasn't 07 where everyone was tired. It was the second year. Mm-hmm. It was 08 is when everyone was just dragging. And so it's it was it's kind of amazing what they did you know, for so long and how they adjusted basically to – a month less of rest and recovery every year for almost 10 years and we're still be able to play at the highest level year in year out. I heard something that Derek Jeter has over 200 postseason hits. That's over a whole season <laughs> of hits yeah. in the in playoffs. The yeah, that's incredible. 
Yeah. That's nuts. And then once you once you get to the playoffs, Kevin Rand told me this, and he was right. It's like uh, by the time you get to October, everyone's hurting. Everyone's sore. Everyone's hurting now. It's midseason. Everyone's got something they're battling through to play every day. Mm-hmm. Now you take that to the end of the year, and then you add to once you get to October, and every, it's really whose guys can deal with what they've got the best and rebound. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about the playoffs is it throws everyone's schedule off because it's not – there's a media thing to do here. There's this. There's a whole media day. And then there's all these other events that you have to do that you have to be responsible for. The interviews go up by 10 for everyone. And to try to keep some normalcy to your routine, it's, it's like I said, it's impressive when teams can do it in year in, year out, just knowing what it takes for guys to do it just a few times I've seen it. All right, Greeny, oh, next oh, question? Or you want to ask something? Well, hopefully we get an opportunity to, to live that life. Yeah. And Absolutely. Have, and have a chance to Absolutely. to deal with that. You just got to continue with the growth in the process, man. Just know that these growing pains and, and this, you know, these lulls are it's just all part uh, of it. It's all part of it, you know. The Tigers had 13 straight losing seasons leading into six, win 06 when they finally made it. And then they had a decade of just really good play and really good ball, including mm-hmm. two World Series. So, you know, it's, it is a process. There is no two-year turnaround. We're going to rebuild for two years. It's a process of getting the right guys. And the thing is, just because you draft or trade for a guy who's in a ball, you know the fans got to remember this. That doesn't automatically mean that this guy is going to come two, and be three a guy. years. Yeah, yeah, he's going to have injuries. He's yeah. going to have things happen in the minor leagues. He's going to have his own yeah. process. Yeah, the minor leagues, minor league baseball is the best weeding out process on earth. Because oh my god, that's the truth. You, you can have a phenom who's throwing 100 miles an hour in college, and you just never hear of him again. Mm-hmm. And some of the best, the best arms, some of the best arms I've seen was in 13 years in the minor league or nine years in the minor leagues, whatever it was, 13. Some of the best guys I ever saw pitch, the hardest guys to play catch with, never made it, and you'll never hear about them. Like guys will ask me, some of the strongest arms I've seen, you've never heard of them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing the, the process of getting through minor leagues to this point is it's unbelievable. Why do you, you think this. the minor leagues are so difficult? Because, like you guys brought up earlier, first of all, you know, in college, what do you play? You know, you have a Wednesday starter. Yeah, you have Wednesdays. You have the weekends. You know, now you're playing every day. Now you're traveling. Now you're playing, let's say it's Lakeland. You're playing a night game where it's, you know, 85 degrees and 80% humidity and you got 15 fans in the stands and they're your family. And mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's sometimes it can just the mental, the mental toughness, how it can wear you down, let alone the physical breakdown that you have, that you're still in A-ball and then all of a sudden take into a factor – you're an outfielder and you see this other outfielder get called up before you because mm-hmm. maybe they see him as a higher prospect, but you got better numbers. Mm-hmm. Now take that into consideration what that does to you mentally. So it's not just physical. It's can you can these kids who have not played every day all of a sudden play 142 games or 144 games? Can they, you know, everyone was the best person on their team. They were the best player on their team yeah. in high school and college. And now they're playing on a team where everyone else was the best player. And they're playing against teams but that were the, the best, best players. players. And not just physically and, and skill-wise you have to deal with that, but all of a sudden mentally too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that go into it that no one really knows about when they say, well, why isn't this guy progressing? Why haven't we seen this phenom draft pick that we had? You know, there's a reason that, you know, we take, you know, we take 40 guys in a draft. We don't get those 40 guys don't make the big leagues uh-huh. for a reason. You know, a, a successful draft, I couldn't tell you the numbers of how many you want to make it. You obviously want them all, but, God, if you get 10 guys that get any time at all in the big leagues out of a draft of 40, that's a pretty freaking – That's a pretty good draft. Yeah. And that's, what, quarter, yeah. one quarter. So, again, 
Get your college degree if you can. You have a Ryan, college are you degree, listening? Nick? My, my I hope my little brother's listening right now. Ryan, you hear that? <laughs> Nick, do you have a college degree? No, I don't have a college degree, but I have a bobblehead. Hey, okay. But I have a bobblehead. Nick, okay. was, Nick was that guy that was moving because he was a prospect sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a college degree either, but Teeter's got one. So we got one college degree on the podcast today. Right, okay, so I'm going to – this one's going to spark a conversation uh, that we're probably going to have to cut short because we're going to talk about it forever, okay? Okay. This question is from T – K Rose 07. Do you like the changes analytics have brought to the game? Oh. <coughs> Nick, would you like to handle this one? Uh, no. I per I person I personally don't. You don't want to talk about it. Well, I no, I'll I mean, here's the thing. I just w what analytics You do want to talk about it. I'll I mean, I'll talk about it. Well, you let's know? talk about it. So, what are the what are the like give me an example. So shifts. like shifts. Sh uh shifts. And that's that. Okay, shifts. Sure, you know if if you want to if you want to sit and you want to talk about, uh, you know if you look at like this guy hits the ball majority here, so yes, in that sense, you know like shifts. I don't mind. You, you know don't, that's, you don't mind because shifts. that's well that's part that's part of the game. It is part of the game. Correct. Where I where I start having a little bit of of an issue is like analytic stats like WAR. Okay. Like wins above replacement. Wins above replacement. Because here's the, here's my question: Who are you getting replaced by? Well, that's a good question. Exactly. And and you're gonna have to ask the computer. So apparently, it's wins above replacement, and it's wins above replacement by a double A player. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, what kind of double A player? Is it a double A player who's a double A veteran, right. who is just a roster filler? Is it a double A prospect? Is it a Kuna? Right. In double A. You know, what kind of double-A player is it? What kind of park is that double-A park? Right. What kind of pitching is that double-A player used to, used to facing? You know, is that double-A player a shortstop? You know, does that double-A player know that Matt Boyd throws his changeup a lot to right-handers and they're behind in the count? And does that double-A player play against Mike Trout long enough to realize that he stays on his changeup pretty well? Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's going to move in the hole to get this line shot one hop to turn the double play to strand the guy at third base. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you how do you over the course of 162 games allow that stat to hold water and then let that stat go into arbitration which affects salaries? Cuz they have algorithms. Math doesn't lie. Math doesn't lie, Nick. Well, let's let's what's do you, what's your war? I don't, I don't know. You don't know. My Does my it, war. Do you know his war? I don't know his war. I can google it. Should I google it? <laughs> you can google I'll it. I'll google it right now. Nicholas Castellanos. That's that's my issue. And here's the thing. They're going to say that they have these computers that have all of these algorithms and these things to plug in and whatnot. That sounds a lot like me of people who try to hide the stock market from the average Joe and say it's just too complicated for normal people to understand. Well, how about this? How about this? How about show us? Well, let, me ask, let me ask you this. So, how about show us? So you have the shift. You, you see players with a shift. And we just got done um, playing in Tampa where at one point I looked over and their entire infield seemed like it was between second and third. Mm -hmm. Okay, baseball players in MLB are the best players in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so statistically, numbers wise, this is telling them he's going to hit the ball over here. Mm -hmm. He has the highest evaluation of us getting him out is to put our players here. Well, this game, all you ever hear about is is a game of adjustments, right? Where's the adjustment? Is now that guy trying to make that adjustment at the plate to where he hits it that way? Is well, it get it deeper? Is it? It's it's easier said than done. Absolutely, absolutely. I can't do it, but. 
these are the best players in the world out mm -hmm. there doing it. So if anyone's going to have a chance, it's these guys. Well, I think it gets tricky, too, because as a pitcher, you think, okay, so if we have, let's say I'm facing Nick and we have the infield shifted, you know, on the third base side of the infield. Are you going to pitch him in? Am, I just, gonna, am I just yeah. going to pitch him in? Or, um, you know, I mean, what what they're saying is that no matter what I throw, statistically, the odds are he's going to pull the he's ball that, to that, that direction no matter what side of the plate I throw or what I throw because statistically that's just where he hits the ground balls. But there's people that, you know, can be out there thinking like, oh, I, gotta, I have to pitch in here or whatever. And the other side of that is, you only remember when the shift doesn't work. Right. Agreed. Well, that's no, what I'm saying. Nobody remembers when the shift I don't, works. I don't you know? have problems with the shift at all because that's that's a part of the game that takes place on the field. Right. So so I have your war here, and your war for the 2018 season is 2.1. 2.1. So, so who's who's the double A right fielder? You want me to Google it? Google it. <laughs> What's our double A? Erie, Erie Seawolves. Erie Seawolves. But that means Nick's only getting two games. Shout out to so Google here. Shout out shout out to Google. Shout out to the Erie Seawolves. So <laughs> our so we're going to look up our double-A Erie roster. And statistically, that we would have, the Tigers would have only won, or the, would, have, would have only won 2.1 more games with me in the lineup playing right field than our double-A right fielder. Shout out to him. The year you're shout, having, shout, hey. Shout out to him. Our right fielder is, is, is He's pretty good. He's getting it done. Okay, so. Well, I think Cam Gibson yeah, just, he got, just called got called up. up. He's got 10 shout games. Out, shout out to Gibby. Shout out Gibby. to Cam Gibson. Okay. Uh, Daz just kind of got, got called, called up, up too, too, right? He's only got 21 games, but he's hitting 299. And is amazingly athletic. He's a center fielder, he's a though. He's a center fielder. Yeah. You want to attempt that first name there? Herless? Herless Rodriguez. Herless Ro Rodriguez. How many games does he have? 15. This isn't going so good. This isn't going so good. Danny Woodrow. This is bad preparation. So he's, got, he's got 46 games. Okay, perfect. He's D hitting 304. Good, good Danny for Wood Danny Woodrow. Danny, Danny Woodrow. He's got, he's got 160 well. at-bats. At so he has like a, th a, a third of a season worth of at-bats? Yes. 500 is a lot in the minor leagues. Yeah. And... His OPS is 754. So if we put him in for you, we only win two more, or we only lose 2.1 more games. With you, we win 2.1. With, with me, over games. the course of the season, we only win 2.1 more games. Same thing, like if you take out Jose Iglesias and you put that guy in, right? You know, the shortstop in Double A, right? You know, I, I mean, you just got to know. There's a lot of there's a lot of question marks. That I'm not, and here's the thing: if they come out and they prove to me 100% that is correct, I'd say, "Wow, man, this is this is great," and you guys should continue to use this. I just think there's a lot of holes in in the idea of being replaced by a double A player. Right. It's tough to grasp. It's tough. It's just tough to grasp. It it's is. tough to grasp. Yeah. You know, it's tough to grasp. Well, that, that's enough on analytics. I think I'm gonna get okay, in trouble. We're, we're, we're gonna with. get in trouble if we keep on talking about analytics. Well, we're not talking bad about it, really. Right? I guess we just want to know more. You know? Well, I don't. I, I honestly, I just don't. I don't even know. Well, the only had you never told me what war was, I well, wouldn't have that's, known. And that's the thing. In, in spring know? training, I asked Harold Reynolds. I said, Harold, how do they come up with war? And he goes, I have no idea. That's a problem. 
That's a mm -hmm. problem that one of the hosts on MLB Network has no idea how you come up with war, and none of the players inside the locker room knows how you come up with war, and it's taken into your arbitration cases, and it's affecting salaries. That's like saying that's like saying the NBA. Your war is somebody who gets replaced in the Eastern League, you know, comes over and it's going to start affecting salaries. That would never that would never be allowed in the NBA. You know, and I just think that we have to do a good job of it. Of of we have to do a better job of understanding exactly what it is and not just being so accepting of it. Right. That's it. You know, and if and like, like I, I said, know what ERA is exactly. You know you what know, RBIs I know, are. I know what batting. You know is. what doubles are. You know what uh, you know runs produced are. While we're talking about runs produced, go ahead. Let's talk about M. Ford McLean's question, which is, does Nick feel snubbed by the All Star voting, and how do you both feel about Blake Snell of the Rays' response to being snubbed? Well, Blake Snell's response, I can't, I can't answer for him. Although I will say that it's obvious that he's an all-star and everybody that wears a major league uniform and plays the game of baseball understands that he's an all-star. And as for me, I'm going to quote big game, uh, big game James Shields. And if you don't like it, pitch better. You don't pitch, Nicholas. Well, but you obviously can see where I'm applying that to. <laughs> um, so I'll just answer the question for you then. I think that you should be an all-star, but I think that Snell should also be an all-star. And I think that the fans should have less of an influence on who an all-star is because the numbers speak for themselves. The fans voting makes it more who's the most popular, not who's having the best year. So it's who's the most, so it's the popular game. Well, I don't know that. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just saying that, like, it should just be based on the numbers. There shouldn't be, like, a vote. It should just be who's the best. What do you right? think, Teeter? I think that the size of the market of the team has a lot to do with it. Absolutely. And obviously, L.A., New York, they're going to get bigger fan, you know, fan voting. Absolutely. So some people that may not be as deserving numbers-wise – in those cities, make it ahead of guys in smaller markets. And I think everyone in baseball knows who should and shouldn't be an all-star. Mm -hmm. You talk about you talk about pitch better. I don't know if Snell could have pitched better. No, he um, doesn't pitch better. Ridiculous. I'm, I was, I'm I was talking, talking about no, big I get games it. for me. I get it, but what I'm saying is I think that it's, it's – I mean, the, the all-star game is for the fans. That's what it's for. They should have a vote. I don't know how you skew that. To that, but it, the All Star Game is about recognizing the players who have had so then, the best so then, first halves. But it's also about the players celebrating the game of baseball at the midpoint of the season, and so the, fans the fans as well. Yeah, it's it's this whole sport. This is entertainment. This is for the fans. So then, they, it shouldn't affect people's pay, pay. or salary. I agree with that point. Well, because that because it does. Of course, it does. You know, because when you go when you go into these meetings and you start. Uh, you know, putting together your resume to get your contract, an all-star game is a huge stamp to have. Of course it is. But you can't lose sight of the fact either that this game is all about the fans. Well, without and the fans, without the fans, we, don't, we don't make money. Yeah. The yeah. same so, thing. Absolutely. So who's, you know. But, but, here, but let me ask you this question. Shouldn't the fans know who Blake Snell is or who Nick Castellanos is? I think people regionally know who Blake Snell is. I think anyone who's faced him. I play baseball, and I had no idea that he, was, that he was leading the league Shane's in ERA. passionate. <laughs> I had this no idea Shane that guy. he was leading the league in ERA, and that's my fault. I right. didn't. You know? But, but if, if you're a race, but if I if you're play, a race fan or if, if, if I play the game and I don't know, 
Well, How are the fans going to know? That's your well, fault. Because, well, here's the thing. So. Because what? Because because it's MLB Network. It's MLB Network. Yeah, it's not. It's not Players Network. Right. I don't know, man. I'm just saying, like this guy. This guy's pitching against the, the Yankees. The, the Yankees, Yankees and the Red Sox. You know what, though? There may be fans. I'm not saying that the fans for the Red Sox and the Yankees are going, but they know who Blake Snell is because he shoved against them. Yeah. So they know too. So there are people out there. You just don't have to be from. You know, southeast they didn't, to know they Blake didn't, is They didn't is. vote for Blake because they no. voted for the Red Sox right. players. And the maybe that players. system needs to be Changed altered a little, a little bit. bit. Yes. But I don't think you want to get away you from You got to have the fans involved. You're right because, you know, the the without them, there, is, there isn't any of us. But there should just be a little bit better of a system to make sure that the guys that play the best – are rewarded for playing the best. All right, so we gotta we gotta start wrapping up because Teeter's got to get back into the train room. So let's do let's do uh, Teeter's two strike approach. Do, we have do a you two have strike? a two strike approach question? I'll I'll just ask him a question, and you can give us your two strike approach about it. For players like myself that have a decent relationship with you, how do you deal with guys like me? when they're on the DL compared to when they're not on the DL. Well, that's really relevant here lately, isn't it? Yes. For a player like you, the way everyone responds differently to being hurt, some guys um, are all in. Some guys fight the system a little bit. Some people – it's it's always the worst point that you're at right there, so no one's in a good mood about it. Um, you respond individually. I know with you it's best not to talk to you and stay away because you do what we ask you to do. I just am not going to sit there and talk to you more and more about it. I'm going to sit there and s- quietly watch you do your work and say, hey, how you doing at the end of the day? If you tell me I'm great, let's pitch. And then I'm going to probably talk to you for the rest of the day until you're off the DL. Perfect. So we're all good today. We're all good today. Well, yeah, we're good today because you're not on the DL. We're great But today. when Shane's on the DL, he gets frustrated. I get a little frustrated. And we'll wrap it up by saying, look, when life throws you curveballs, don't get frustrated. Just don't swing at them. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. Teeter, thank you so much for stepping out of the training room and trying to give uh, everybody your perspective on uh, on the training room. It was fun. Thank you. All right, guys. See uh, you. Until next time, have a good one.